I had a question from a family the other day that kind of caught me off guard a little bit. So I wanted to record a quick uh, soundbite about it so that if you guys come into this situation, you might be a little more prepared than what I was. Um, we, we talk a lot with families, or at least I talk a lot with families, about the negative side of ABA and the importance of neurodivergent affirming practices. And most of the time, I feel like families either just tune me out because they're already doing ABA or they're on board because they just already agree with me. Um, But I was having a parent education meeting with a parent and the parent asked me, but isn't that the old ABA? And it kind of caught me off guard because I know that there is a lot of this questioning out there on the internet I've read, um, but I'm like, you know, I know that it, there's not an old and new ABA. It's one founding principle that underlies all of it, and there may have been changes that have made for the better, for sure, um, but that doesn't make it good. So I kind of got caught off guard, and I wasn't really prepared to respond to her in that moment, um, but after reflecting on it, I, I thought of other things that I could have said, and since then, I've had other conversations with her as well, too, but I think the big thing to keep in mind when we're talking to families about ABA and when we're thinking about ABA, one is that the underlying theory has a lot of flaws in it. It's rooted in behaviorism. Um, It's a relatively old theory. I think it originates around the 70s or so and mostly based on animal studies. So my biggest complaint with it is that it's a major oversimplification of human behavior because we are not such simple beings that we just do things for attention and for reinforcement. So you cannot just extinguish a behavior and reward a behavior and expect a child to comply. And we know this because all of our work with the CPS model that kids do well and so do adults when they can. And often it's more a lack of ability. So there is this idea out there um, being perpetuated about old ABA versus new ABA. And there's certainly, from what I have gathered from parent conversations, has been, there have been changes. What I'm finding is that there are definitely ABA clinics using terminology that suggests that they are play-based and natural, have a natural learning environment. Um, that doesn't mean that they are, because even in my interviews with OTs, often they tell me they're play-based. And when I ask for examples, all they're telling me is how they're using a play activity, like a board game. Like, well, you chose the activity. You know, play-based really for me, means more child-led and using their strengths to guide therapy and their interests. Um, so just using play doesn't really mean anything. So just because you have it fun doesn't necessarily mean you're truly play-based. Um, and then um, the, I think that terminology is, like I said, kind of coming out more and more in their marketing. But from what I'm hearing from families, it's not translating to actual changes because the root is still, I want to change the behavior of this child. And the critique from the um, autistic population is that, one, they don't need to be changed because they are not broken, so there's no fixing them, and that it's traumatic to try to make them look more neurotypical because you're just requiring that child or adult to mask and pretend to be something that they're just not, that their brains are just wired differently, and we need to approach it with more acceptance and environmental modifications, things to support them like we would any other disability um, versus changing them. Now, certainly there are some things that it benefits them to have certain skills and provide certain education, but it's a really, really, really fine line. And I think that's the biggest 
critique that I hear about even the new ABA is that you are still trying to, in a very intense way, change the behavior of a child to make them look more quote unquote normal. And that's happening in both old and new ABA. From what I'm hearing from other clinics or other therapists and parents is that one of the changes is the direct um, or discrete trialing um, that they have gotten away. Some at least have gotten away from that and they're incorporating more regulation strategies. But how I'm seeing it actually play out is not actually truly regulation-based. You know, they, I'm hearing that they are allowing more protesting and saying no, but that they're also using very um, almost insulting strategies for regulation. For example, I know that there is currently one ABA, large ABA place that their go-to when a child is upset is they tell them, touch your nose, touch your nose, touch your nose, until they touch their nose. And then that's supposed to be like some distraction to get them out of it. Like that's not empathizing with them. That's not recognizing it's a legitimate emotion. That's just treating it as basically a behavior that we just want to stop because it's bothering us. Um, so those things are still happening. Um, the other thing is it, there's still this heavy, heavy focus on compliance. And that is, again, rooted in behaviorism, that there is a thing that we need to change and the child has to change it and we are the ones to guide it. And I think even our therapies have to be really careful that we're not going too far that route, but that's still very, very prevalent in ABA. And that is the piece that autistic individuals report as being traumatic. More recent studies that have come out um, reported up to like 70 or 80% of autistic adults had signs of post-traumatic stress disorder from being an ABA. It's an extremely intense therapy. Most of these kids are in 20 to 40 hours a week, which is a full part to full-time job on top of school and other therapies. Um, these kids were already maybe struggling and just living in a neurotypical world day to day. That's a really high burden to place on them on top of that. And the message you inadvertently send with any intense therapy like that is there's something wrong with you. So we're going to put you through extensive therapy to fix it. I mean, you're not saying that directly, but you might as well be. Um, but the other thing I try to really relate to families is that, yes, there are a lot of autistic places and there are people and there are a lot of places that are truly abusive and there's a lot of talk about it being abuse but when families look at it it doesn't look abusive or bad to them right often their kid is even sometimes willing to go sometimes happy to go um but what is that compliance really teaching about their interaction with the world and are we truly targeting the skills that we are trying to target and i have a couple of examples of that so one I just recently got into it with one of our interns about this very topic because she works at an ABA clinic. And one of her examples she gave me was that, um, you know, they would make a child say open before they would open the door. And I said, you know, you could think of that another way that you are telling the child, I will not open the door until you do what I ask you to do, which is compliance. And that might be too high of a demand for that patient because perhaps if they're autistic, maybe language processing is not their best skill. Maybe motor planning is difficult and I can't consistently access my verbal language, but can I communicate my needs to you in another way, um, you know, with a gesture or with eye contact or something or pictures or something and placing the high demand and you're on the top of that, you're artificially placing the demand, right? Because it's not like in a natural situation where the child is just like, I want to leave the room and the parents can confuse like, wait, where are you going, buddy? We have to stay in here. It's not a natural situation is they created a situation in which to exert control for the pure sake of 
gaining compliance and forcing that child to use a skill. That's the concern. You are setting up that environment in such a way. Um, the other thing, I always go back to one of my early most disturbing and like memorable experiences with ABA um, because I often don't think that their quote-unquote good evidence is really measuring what they intend or what it should be measuring and therefore also less effective. So when I was early in my career, we did some consulting for an ABA clinic um, and I was observing this child and this was a child I'd seen around in many sessions and he was very visually distracted. He definitely tuned into a lot of visual input, had a really hard time processing auditory input. He was sensitive to sounds, poor engagement. (laughs) And they used to walk him around the clinic with a chalkboard. And it said, you know, something like, what is your favorite color or something? And he did to go around and ask every single one of us therapists that were sitting in the office that question. So he would come up and he's staring off into space and he says, what's your favorite color? I mean, it had no meaning to him whatsoever. He certainly did not care what our favorite color was, and he was not even at a point where he could engage back and forth. And those are the, that's what really is like the foundation for asking those questions, you know? And that's pretty high-level skill also, too. One, to have a favorite of yourself, and two, to think that someone else has a favorite and then be able to form the question. So they're going around making him do this skill that he clearly just didn't have the foundational skills for. So he's repeating it like robotic because he doesn't have a choice. There's no choice. He comes to me and I, and he asks me my favorite color and I say, spaghetti. And he, without skipping a beat or making any eye contact with me, says, my favorite color is blue. Like he was just going through the motions. He wasn't engaged because he knew I had to comply with this task, whether I have the ability or not. So I'm not actually processing what I'm saying or processing what you're saying, which is the whole point of communication. Forced communication is not functional because he's never going to, on his own, go and ask anybody that question because he's not actually learning. So that's compliance space. The other example that I always go to is with that same patient. (laughs) They had created a program. Um, He was having a hard time at school because um, he was expected to, and I don't know if you, I think I'm assuming he went to like a Montessori school. So he was expected to take a basket off the shelf, complete the activity in it and put it back. And he couldn't do this. And me, without even ever being at the school, I can already suspect what the possible issues are. Auditory sensitivity, overwhelmed in a visual environment, difficulty with engagement and sustained um, participation, and he can't initiate tasks. He had the motor planning issues. So a lot of that was inherent in the environment. ABA said, oh, we'll create a program. We can fix that. We will help this child meet your demands (laughs) which again is compliance-based, is not taking into consideration where that child is at developmentally. The better option would be, let's talk to the teacher about how we can modify the classroom to help him access materials he's interested in better. So ABA puts this program together, and I'm watching it. They put three baskets on the table, and in each one, they put a baby toy. This child was about four years old. He was expected to pull the basket, do the toy, push it back, and grab the next one. So I'm watching him and he pulls the first one and he takes the toy out and he holds it up to his nose and he says, I'm an elephant. And inside I'm going, this is amazing. This is, this is like way higher level play than what you're asking him to do. This is pretend play. It's symbolic. I've never seen this skill from him before. And the tech with no emotion, because you know, we don't want to reinforce anything. 
um, turned to him and said, that's not what we're supposed to do with that. Put it back. And I watched all the joy drain out of his face while he went right back to putting the toy together and doing what he was supposed to do. So he met his objective because that program they put in place, he did eventually achieve it. So they had their gold standard data, but it completely did not translate into any functional improvement in the classroom because they didn't target the correct thing. And on top of that, what damage did they do to that child and his understanding of the world and his understanding of other people and his place in it if he was excited about something and they refused to share that joy with him and on top of that discouraged it (laughs) and on top of that it was also really high level play. Um, So that's one of my favorite examples actually to give to families to kind of illustrate like this is the problem. You know, it's more than just is it the old ABA or the new ABA? These are the things that are inherent in all ABA because it's part of their founding theories and why it can be so detrimental to our, our kids. Um, so I don't know. I, I wanted to share some of those thoughts because I anticipate we will keep getting more of that. I think part of the ABA marketing strategy is, at least from what I'm seeing, is they're talking a lot about we are natural-based, we're play-based, because these are the buzzwords that parents want to hear, and talking about how they're different. And I know there is one particular uh, BCBA who's kind of pioneering this. I've heard some patients reference him. I'm blanking on his name, of course, um, and how he's you know updating and making it so much better. There's definitely improvements that doesn't still make it good. So I think it's important to convey those things to parents and and be ready maybe with some examples to illustrate it. Because I I think until you really dig into examples, just saying it's detrimental, it's compliance-based, they don't really see the big deal. But it's important that they understand, especially if they're open to having that conversation with you. Anyways, hopefully that doesn't happen too often to you guys, but um, it happened to me. So I'm anticipating we'll get more questions like that. If you have any questions, let me know.